So all of those things are part of the digital technologies curriculum and are more aimed at students really understanding how things happen under the hood. So A, they're more informed for life, but also so that they're prepared to be our next generation of developers of the next cool app or the next evolution of AI. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we're with Juliet McMahon from Grok Academy. Welcome along, Julie. Great um, to have you on the show. Kia ora, Paul. Thank you for having me along today. Oh, yes. it's a real privilege to have you here. Maybe before we, we delve in, we're going to you know really talk a lot around uh, digital education, the role of technology and, and AI within the education sphere, particularly from a, you know, a school perspective. It'd be great to hear a little bit about your background uh, because you've been working in this in this field for uh, for a long time, and I'm sure uh, listeners would would be curious to know a little bit about that. Um, yes, yeah, so I have actually been in the digital uh, digital technologies education space for over 30 years. I hate to give away my age. Um, the last 20. So years, you're at least 30 then. Yeah, I'm at least 30. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, the last 20 years has been uh, over here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I obviously am North American, and so I was actually involved in the early days in some of the first telecommunications education networks in the United States and started developing my interest then. Um, 20 years here teaching digital technologies uh, down in Otapoti, Dunedin, had a faculty of technology and I also worked with Otago University with their master's students as a curriculum lecturer. So helping onboard those, that next generation of digital technologies teachers. Throughout my time, I have also served as a president and a committee member of Digital Technologies Teachers Aotearoa, which is our subject association, and worked on the current curriculum development in the area of digital technologies and also the education standards for NCEA in, in the area. So I kind of across digital technologies education in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And about a little over a year ago, decided to put those skills um, to use in a different, slightly different direction. And now I'm a lead educator with Grok Academy. And I know we'll go into that a little bit more probably, but we're an education non-for-profit in digital technology space. Yeah, I think it's really mm. exciting and I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing more about mm. that. Maybe just a sort of a, you know, a quick overview for those that haven't heard of uh, Grok Academy before uh, and, you know, what uh, what Grok Academy's mission is. Yeah. So Grok Academy, we're an education not-for-profit. Our big mission is on bringing digital technologies education out to everybody, equity of access. We really are um, focused on making sure we get a diverse range of learners exposed to digital technologies because we need diversity within the workforce. And um, we also want to highlight career pathways because tech is the foundation um, for every other industry and we want to highlight what those exciting career pathways are. Um, Grok is a non-for-profit based in Australia and we have some funding, um, generous funding through WiseTech Global, and we're able to um, provide our resources free in Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. 
yeah, starting that, that's really in cool. 2024, so we'll talk about We're that. We're right into it, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, big thank you, of course, to our show partners, to 1NZ, 2 Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology for uh, their support of the show. Um, but let's jump in. Um, I, I'm keen to hear how how you look at the, the landscape when we talk about technology in school or, or digital technologies, and maybe you can tell listeners why you use the term digital technologies, you know, how, how we would look at that differently from information technology or other uh, titles within the education sector and, you know, your thoughts on, on the current landscape in New Zealand. So that's a, a great question because to the general public, digital technologies, digital literacy, digital citizenship, they all kind of bundle together and there isn't a lot of differentiation. And also we hear the term digital native quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> so yes. I thought I would unpack that and how it really is impacting schools. That'll be great. So... Um, one of the things you know, we assume because our young people and even young t- teachers coming into the field, they've grown up with devices, with the internet, social media, that they're digital natives. But just because they're digital natives and they're okay with using apps and they're quite proficient in it, they really their digital literacy skills, um, they haven't been honed in on that because they haven't been really shown how do we, you know, save files? Things get magically saved into the cloud. Um, how do we, uh, you know, com- structure documents, spreadsheets, all of those things that make us digital literate and um, able to sort of critically evaluate what's the best tool for the job? Yeah, so there can be a lot of variation, yes. can't there, in terms of you know experience and and knowledge and and expertise and mm-hmm. and when i think back to uh, teaching at, at what is now Auckland University of Technology and and actually i was a teenager when i was teaching there and um, you know doing night classes and the like and um, you know at that point technology was you know was new and we didn't come in with so many assumptions mm-hmm. so we were teaching people you know file formats to save and where to save things and so on but these are the sorts of things now that it's often assumed that everybody uh, knows, but of course there are there are those variances in terms of knowledge. Exactly, and so that's the digital literacy aspect, mm. and those are the things that um, do need a coordinated approach and taught across the curriculum. So they're really important. For example, in maths, doing spreadsheets and graphing, or maybe in geography. And in, you know, our, our literacy subjects, really learning how to format a document, et cetera. And within digital technologies, which I'll explain in a minute, how to save files, how to in the correct format so that we can design a web page and have the correct linking, et cetera. But then with, within the curriculum, we have a subject called digital technologies. And digital technologies is really about those underlying computer science concepts that are underpin our current AI or the apps that are developed, um, the logical thinking that goes into it, the computational thinking, also um, programming, and also design thinking. How do we design an app so that it's fit for purpose and that it's actually solving a problem? So all of those things are part of the digital technologies curriculum and are more aimed at students really understanding how things happen under the hood. So A, they're more informed for life, but also so that they're prepared to be our next generation of the developers of the next cool 
app or the next mm -hmm. um, evolution of AI. And so I guess there's a, a disjunct between what's been actually taught, what's been expected to be taught in the, in the classroom. Yeah, and, and getting back to your, you know, your point earlier around making sure that, that everyone has this, you know, has the opportunity to, uh, to learn. And I, I think in the current age, the current time we're in, 100% everybody that goes, you know, that mm. goes through the education should be learning. And I don't know where you draw the line mm. as, to, as to what's an appropriate level, but there should be a, a reasonably kind of high bar for, for what is considered the basics. You know, in the same way, we're seeing the government sort of want to make sure that people, you know, uh, understand how to read and write and, and, and do maths and so on up to, to a particular, you know, level. Mm we should be doing the same surely on a technology front it's a it's a digital world now and without that we really disadvantage people that's exactly the the digital technologies curriculum was put into place up through our year 10 learners and so that they have that foundation in in coding in the computational thinking to make some appropriate choices once they go on to those higher levels like NCA they can start making choices mm. and we've especially found with um, females, with um, people who are maybe gender diverse or from a minority, they don't see themselves in tech roles. And if they don't see themselves as being successful in it or see um, a pathway early on, they tend to opt out and think this isn't for me. And it's really important that we do expose students by year seven at the latest, and especially in that kind of year six to 10, um, so that they know that opportunities exist. And one of my favorite phrases that I learned at a actually a Google Education Summit years ago was CS plus X. And it's kind of computer science plus the X factor plus your passion. So um, if you are, you know, agriculture, if it's sport, if it's medicine, if it's business, whatever it is, we need technology underpins that today. So it's, I guess, providing students with insights into doing digital technologies as a career is not sitting behind a screen all day, just writing code. It's actually working with that area, your passion, your area of passion, and putting those things together to develop, uh, you know, something helpful, useful. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, what I would often argue is, doesn't matter what you know what field somebody's mm -hmm. going into art education you know um, sports and and whatever you know career paths it might be a you know a welder gas mm -hmm. fitter whatever um, you know the the stronger that technological uh, you know learning up front then the more successful you're likely to, to be in your given field and as the world becomes more and more digital, uh, you know, you become more valuable within your given, uh, you know, workplace if you've done those things. So, yeah, that that really uh, resonates with mm -hmm. me. So, um, talk to me around, you know, the current things that you see when we we look at there being a shortage often of of teachers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it it makes me wonder, you know, what's the role of artificial intelligence? What's the role of technology to do some of the lifting for mm. us. Uh, I look back and maybe it's, I don't know, uh, to the the last time 
the national government were in, so maybe sort of seven years or so uh, back, I remember there being an announcement around online uh, learning, and mm. I was actually in the newsroom at um, yeah, what is TV3, uh, was TV3 and MediaWorks at, at that point, and um, one of the you know well-known journalists sort of and presenters you know saying to me how shocked they were and how crazy it was and in my case I shared with them my experience with what used to be called correspondence school mm -hmm. and and having done some remote learning uh, prior to and while my family was traveling overseas and how that worked out you know how that was absolutely brilliant mm -hmm. uh, in my case and I've you know heard heard other positive sort of stories around that sort of remote uh, learning, and so I was able to sort of share that, and I'm not quite sure what's mm -hmm. kind of ha what happened with that with government uh, changes and so on. But uh, when I look at you know Grok Academy and and a lot of things going on, um, you know online learning is is a you know is an important part of the picture, isn't it? So there are a couple of things. Yes, we are short of teachers, full stop, <laughs> and we are desperately short of digital technologies teachers. Um, I'll give my own personal opinion and from being in the university system is that we ask teachers to get an undergrad in computer science or information science and then go and do a master's in education to go back into the classroom and usually because we need so many tech workers there, um, they're out and they have a job and so we're, we aren't getting very many digital technologies teachers coming into the classroom. So that is one issue. Um, it's one issue that Grok Academy and other online learning platforms were trying to solve, yep. support teachers to have an online platform that provides, you know, a structured learning program, guides the students through, and then they can actually upskill themselves as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I think we've all experienced through COVID, and I saw a transformation when I was in, you know, during COVID with other teachers who weren't digital technologies teachers, they suddenly learned how to maybe put things online and, and teach in a different way. So that was actually quite beneficial, that, that part, <laughs> that was one of the benefits to COVID. And just like we have hybrid workers now that work partially from home, partially in the office, um, we can see that we can engage students in different ways. We're never going to replace, I don't think, that face-to-face -face interaction. I hope not. Uh, no, <laughs> it's it's the you know students do like the relationship, the relationship for, with the teacher, and supporting them through. But if we have resources that are online that are quality, then we're supporting the teachers because they are they're busy with the, <laughs> so many things. There are so many curriculum requirements. Um, so I guess that's the landscape right now. Unfortunately, there are, pros, you know, I guess good and bad <laughs> ed tech examples out there. Some are just sort of drill and kill, and that's just replacing, I guess, a, a worksheet, and it's an online worksheet. But we have this opportunity now, and I do see it as an opportunity with AI. Um, we can actually build into ed tech platforms ways to give more personalized content to students. So you might have some sort of online pre-assessment and you and I might go down totally different pathways depending on where we are. You might get different feedback and you might be challenged. I might be put down and do some more 
I guess, remediation problems or get extra support. And teachers don't often have that time. We're supposed to be differentiating in the classroom, yes. but it's challenging. So structured AI used that way is actually going to be probably a, a, a real game changer. Different platforms are, um, are developing it. That's what one of our things with our next generation of Grok is building that into our platform so that we are customizing the experience for learners and for teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really fascinated how that could play out. You know, when I I think of, you know, my memory, it's far from, you know, perfect. And I think of, you know, different people that I work with, you know, some of them are, you know, are much better at perceiving, you know, certain little things than, than others. And I can imagine a, a scenario in a classroom, and maybe it sort of sounds a bit spooky, but you know where you've got uh, you've got the content being kind of temporarily recorded, and then an AI, um, you know, building up some some knowledge around each individual. Oh, this person, uh, you know, this youngster loves playing cricket. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more uh, leaning to um, to be distracted than to focus on the subject at hand. Um, they love their maths and they're really good at it. They don't do so much on the this and that front and so on. And being able to build up those sort of profiles, you know, somewhat somewhat automatically. And I can imagine that being actually really helpful for you know for a teacher. And then as assignments and things are being put together, that the AI would uh, you know would play into what you're talking about in terms of the personalization and and so on. How ready do you think we are for these sorts of changes because you know as soon as you incorporate you know for instance with that example you've you've got to have some sort of AI that's recording or, or listening in for a period of time uh, and and you know you might automatically delete the the, the recordings or what have you um, but there's there's discomfort because this is a change uh, to what we know and the and the world we know Yes, it, it is uncomfortable, and I think we all would probably prefer to do something how we've always done it, deliver a lesson, deliver an assessment task, how we've done it before we know it works. But we also know that things like ChatGPT, these large language models, they have changed the landscape, and they're here. And so that is a ch- it's a challenge, but it's something that, needs to be a focus for educators because we need to maybe change how we think about doing assessment and not giving things that are just um, you know getting getting the correct answer because maybe you know a large language model AI can spit out a correct answer so it's thinking about how do we use that as as a coach how do we use it actually to help us as teachers, you know, to create maybe some problem prompts, some writing prompts, some lesson plans. So it actually, we see it as that positive, what is positive as far as AI, but just to say, well, I'm not ready for it. It's it's here. I do know um, big organizations, code.org, for example, Khan Academy, um, Grok Academy were on um, the, the sort of advisory boards and those things. How can we support educators in um, using AI and in the classroom. So I think that that's where the focus needs to be is how do we how do we use it productively instead of just saying, oh, I don't want to know about it or we should just ban it because if you ban things, 
people find a way around them, but how can we find the, the positive in, in using those things in the class in the classroom? Yeah, and there's a, there's a balancing act yeah. uh, banning things yeah. and allowing them. Do you give chat GPT at, at any level to to students at, at any age? Um, because it sort of it probably opens you up to yeah. all sorts on on the net. And and I guess it's probably similar challenge with what you know what we've seen with the current government yeah. in terms of banning smartphones. I think yeah. Well, there's one school of thought is you yeah, know no, you shouldn't ban things at all. On the flip side, we've got things like Network for Learning uh, that's being used by a lot of schools to, you know, manage and give a access to appropriate online access with some mm-hmm. some boundaries around it into the school. And if you've got a smartphone, uh, you know, a mobile connection, you basically bypass mm-hmm. whatever a school's tried to put in in place using using those techniques. And we see some of the fallout from that with nude pictures that get sort of passed around and can cause a, a lot of harm and so on. But, of course, you can never completely control these things because as soon as school's over for the day, those sort of boundaries all fall away. Uh, so these aren't easy decisions to make, are they? They, are, they aren't. And I do think when you try to ban technologies in schools, it's almost like students want to use I remember in the old days of brick cell phone when we said you couldn't have it they figured out how to put their phone in their blazer pocket and still be texting with their thumb (laughs) or if you don't have a cell phone but you've got your you know byod device you Mm. can still use a messaging app to to link uh, to communicate so i think there are challenges to banning it's usually moves just moves those sort of communication things to other areas i know chat gpt really shouldn't be actually legally, I think, used for people under 17 years of age. So I think it's using AI tools that are specific for education. Again, like things that might the teacher can monitor and it's giving them some like writing prompts and being their coach. So does that I, mean you should be banning the chat GPT <laughs> and giving them an, an alternative at that point? I or do you, do you not block it? I think it is showing alternatives. Mm. Mm. Um, maybe I think in schools and I don't actually have the legality on this but I believe Mm. in schools it shouldn't be allowed for access for people under a certain age Mm. so Mm. that schools might have a legal obligation around that but I haven't checked I've I've read that Um, I haven't checked the New Zealand law on that Um, so I think it's providing it's providing alternatives and it's also those discussions the other interesting thing around that is that so if you are I guess giving homework or tasks that students can do at home where it's open slather access to things like chat GPT sure so that makes an inequity right there because students who have internet access and have access at home to to those they can just whip through maybe their their homework whereas students who don't aren't having that same access and it's kind of the same thing though that's always been with access to internet or access to parents who are guiding you through your homework or an older brother or or sister so um I think having having assignments or homework assignments that make it really easy to just splat out some answers on chat gpt that's where we have to rethink because the, the motivation to use those things will go away if we 
if we are not making it um, a reward for <laughs> going and getting your homework done very quickly on yeah. that. Um, and my other, I guess, big thing that as part of digital technologies, the computer science, we should actually be looking at what are the foundations for AI? How does it actually work? What are the principles? And, and getting students to actually think about the pros and cons, like how is, how is AI actually helping us to diagnose um, you know, cancers and things like that? What are those benefits? How is AI being used to sort of form our feeds and maybe have biases and manipulate it? I think those are the more important conversations to have in schools rather than ban, not ban. It's um, that's great. It's, it's yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, it's so it's so important that we, yeah, help. And it's not it's not just youngsters, right? Mm-hmm. Help all of us, uh, you know, better understand some of these these realities and 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 challenges. Now. Yeah, when it, when I think around uh, AI, one of the early discussions, which I haven't heard much on, yeah, probably for at least six months, one of the early discussions, you know, was very much sort of leaning towards banning, mm-hmm. and then very quickly leaning towards using technology to detect whether students were maybe handing in assignments that had been generated. Uh, with AI, and of course, there's variations on that. You know, um, certainly, at, you know, at a university level, uh, around individuals that might kind of outsource the the production of mm-hmm. an assignment to somebody, might be somebody else yeah, elsewhere in the world, and and so on. Now, before we before we jumped in, uh, one of the things that you mentioned that is as uh, as a, as a uh, you know is a technique as mm-hmm. For instance, if, if a student's working uh, in, in you know platform Google or, or Microsoft with Docs, uh, and you've got track changes on, then you can sort of see when maybe a whole big, big block of text mm. uh, has been dropped in versus it being entered over a period of time. Uh, so there are there are probably elements like that 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 you know, and there's always ways around them, of mm. course, uh, that could be part of the picture. How do you how do you look at uh, look at those mm. things, and and how much could AI technology maybe maybe help us there? If if an AI, for instance, knows Paul Spain's personal writing style, uh, how long I take to write things, the language I use, and then it compares it with something that's been you know generated uh, online. And again, you can train your your online version to uh, to be very much uh, like your, yourself. Are those are those things helpful? Are they necessary, uh, or is it a, 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 just a matter of coming up with a range of of different types of assignments and and, and tasks uh, to encourage learning? Um, I actually had a, a good conversation about this <laughs> recently. So, yes, those techniques that teachers have been using actually even before you know the Chat GPT large mm, language models. Mm. Putting having students use you know Microsoft online docs or Google Docs with the revision mode on with the track changes on so that they could see when things were maybe holus bolus just copied and pasted from the internet. So those techniques are still going to come into play with things like ChatGPT. Different from university level, but high school, you know, intermediate, 
you usually know your students quite well. You know their writing style. You know their capabilities. And if they've suddenly turned in an online document that's totally different from something that they would ever write in in classroom, you you can pick that up right away. Um, I know at universities and high schools throughout New Zealand, we've been using things like Turnitin to detect plagiarism, to detect copies online. So those things are already already in place. Um, and like I said, I know that um, different online platforms are actually building in the AI so you can assign students and they have to do it within this controlled AI platform so the teacher can actually see yes. their progress through. And, and then the program is actually restricted. So it's not giving them the answer. It's guiding them with some you know, personalized prompts and things like that. So I think those are all really good. I think the danger right now where the technology stands right now in these kind of AI detectors is we do know that AI has hallucinations. Hallucinations. Oh my gosh, I couldn't <laughs> say that word. And you know, that happens and, to me and, sometimes. You know, has these sort of false positives. Yes. So there's a danger that you turn something in and an AI detector says it isn't your writing and you and there have been cases of this. Somebody, you know, stood down from school when it actually was their writing. So we have to be very careful that we're not just relying on an AI to check an AI. Um, I think we need some more structure, at least for right now. Yeah, um, I don't think you can probably usually do that in a in a manner where you're entirely yeah. reliant. And I would imagine if you if you've got an AI coming back saying this content is has not been created by an individual, that it then needs to give a, a, a list of the reasonings and so on. So then, you know, there's not just kind of one judge that's a, that's technology that uh, takes us back to movies like Judge Dredd. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, you know there, there's, there's a need to, you know, involve the educator in, in that process, isn't there? And, and it is important that, you know, we're we're not just doing things that that don't utilize AI mm. because you know, of course, that's part of the learning mm. is how to use the AI tools, and we should be leaning in, and and they should be an important part of of the learning um, journey as well. And from a strictly digital technology standpoint, I know that um, some people are saying, well, why should we teach coding because ChatGPT will whip out a program, you know, so we don't really need to teach anybody to code anymore. But again. It doesn't always give the the best answer or the correct answer, and you need those analytical skills. You need to understand the code enough. You need to understand the prompts. You need to understand the problem that you're trying to solve. So in order to even know, evaluate, critically evaluate whether AI is is giving us something that's reasonable or not reasonable, we need to, to A, have those foundational understandings of how things work under the hood, and and be teaching those skills. How do, how do we maybe refine refine a prompt or maybe as a teacher use chat GPT to have different different prompts and then allow students to go off and work on them on their own. So I think that is um, that's really important that we don't just ban it. And also we're using we're using it all the time. It's it's been in our Google suite. It's completing our emails and our and our texts, and you know that's how we do searches. So um, again, I think it's the critical evaluation. And yep. and it, but if we say that 
we don't need to teach students to code anymore because we'll have AI to do it, then who's going to make the next generation of our tools? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, th I think there's a lot of value in, in, in learning to code. Mm. And even for those who end up in roles where they never ever have to have to code, having the, that sort of deep understanding and that that knowledge uh, is is immensely uh, useful in terms of understanding technology and and the possibilities. Um, okay, now sometimes I like to go out there with weird and wonderful uh, <laughs> thoughts. Um, we've talked a little bit about AI and and you know where it can uh, or potentially can can fit in. And there's, you know, you could extrapolate that out to some pretty interesting um, results. And, and now we're sort of seeing a number of companies that are working very hard on humanoid robots. Uh, we're told these things are going to, you know, to, to buy the what Tesla's working on, you know, supposedly is, is going to be maybe in line with, a, I don't know, a, or a fraction of a, a year's worth of a teacher's salary. Can can you see a time in the future where you know our our real teachers are going to be assisted by um, you know robots that are uh, able to assist in class, assist on I don't know uh, on the sports field, all all these sorts of things? Does, is that something that scares you or makes some sense? Um, I think I, in the past I had actually taken a group of students here to Auckland and we went to visit Soul Machines. I oh, don't know fantastic! If you, yes. Yeah. And we were looking at sort of their digital assistance. And I can see that the technology, especially in learning where you might have a remote school that doesn't have a specialist a physics teacher, for example, mm -hmm. and you can have sort of a remote personality that simulates a, a teacher and simulates that, I guess, personal interface. Yeah can deliver the content. I do see those benefits. I'm not sure we're exactly there yet, but I can see where that might happen. Um, again, I still think that we like our personal face-to-face -face yes, interaction, yes. but I can see where those sorts of assistance are being developed and can be beneficial, like if you think about mm, where mm. We, we can't maybe staff a classroom with a specialist teacher. We can have them as... Aids yeah, I think it'd be very interesting to see how that fits in. And, and for those that are interested in um, Soul Machines, we've got at least one episode where Greg Cross um, is, is on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So I want to look up. Uh, he's the chief executive there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I mean, yesterday, public holiday here in Auckland, there were some uh, sports, sports tryouts, uh, which my son went to. And there was, you know, one teacher there who was the, uh, he was the, the cricket uh, guy. There was another teacher who was not really, you know, involved too much, but needed to be there uh, in whatever form. And I'm not quite sure what the different what the different roles were, but from from my observation, was sort of you know largely observing, but also doing a bit of taking people's contact numbers and email addresses and and whatnot. And I can see that that sort of thing. If you've got a shortage of teachers, your assistant could be robotic, or if it's uh, and one of the things I wondered about, because it was kind of, you know, a tryout for you know, a couple of cricket teams, uh, and I thought, hold on, this, you know, this teacher is engaging with usually a very small number of people, and then there's a whole lot of other people that are bowling mm. and batting and, and whatnot that they can't possibly be observing at the, the same time. 
And I'm thinking, yeah, how, how do they do that? And yeah, there was enough time, I'm sure all of that was, was handled well, but possibly you could have done the, the same thing in half the amount of time uh, on what was a public holiday if you'd maybe had a little bit of technology to do some of some of that looking. Now the technology's it's not, you know, it's not there at this point in time, but if we look sort of ten years out and uh, the sort of budget challenges and so on we have, uh, may, maybe that becomes part of the picture. I did um, see a presentation from some PhD students actually in AI from Otago University mm. and they were working with the stadium down there to help like capture more angles and images and bring a better experience for the viewers yes, so that you could yeah. actually see more of a 3D experience. And I can see where that technology could be used, yes, for a coach or for, you know, having obser- people observing from the sideline that's giving you a slightly different view than just one person. Yes, so I think that's those things are in in development Yes, and and a lot of it relies on on the the concept of of AGI or artificial general intelligence, which you know, becomes a, a a lot more uh, flexible. Now, um, delving into to Grok Academy, mm-hmm. yeah, re- really keen to to learn more, um, you know, about the organisation uh, founded in Australia. Uh, you're the the, was it first employee uh, yes. here uh, on the uh, the New Zealand side, which is is really uh, pleasing. But uh, my understanding is you've had resources available to schools, and in fact, but before you joined Grok Academy, you were you were using um, you know the the uh, the services of Grok Academy. Um, but up until 2024, that's been something that schools have have had to pay for. Um, but the big news is that uh, this is now, um, you know, funded through through sponsorship, so schools can jump on board and uh, and and use what you've got available uh, for free. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, Grok Academy um, has been. It's an educational nonprofit based in Australia. It was um, behind a paywall just to support, you know, development of the resources. Small team, small dedicated team developing programming, computer science um, and some digital literacy resources. Our CEO, James Curran, he um, was helped in his youth by some teachers sponsoring him to go to camps, really seeing some potential. And so he's always had this passion for helping learners reach their potential. Um, He ended up, you know, he has a PhD in computational linguistics by being identified at at a young age, which he might not have had that opportunity. Mm. And then um, we've run computer, uh, there's the National Computer Science School, and that runs over the Christmas holiday, well, just after Christmas, early January down in Sydney. And that has been sponsored by organizations to bring students together, expose them to digital technologies, career pathways, new tech that's coming out. And Richard White and Wise Tech Global, which is, um, I think it's um, one of the top logistics companies in Australasia, um, they had sponsored that. And Richard um, decided he also was kind of a self-taught person and he decided he wanted to give back, so he has um, pledged 1% of his profits for Grok Academy to enable us to offer our resources for free. So last year, free across Australia, launched free in 
um, New Zealand this year, Aotearoa, New Zealand, which is amazing. Before it was behind a paywall, and so only maybe a small number of students could access it, maybe in a senior digital technologies NCA level course. Um, or, and actually with the equity, you know, it might be a higher decile school where they, you know, charge fees, could afford it. So this brings it down so that everybody has access to the digital technologies teaching. So our online platform, now we have almost 50 um, educators on board developing new content, new resources. We have a teacher dashboard so teachers can see the progress of their students through the, the learning. Um, teachers get access to solutions, tech support, lesson plans. So it's all there to help you know, support teachers integrate digital technologies into the curriculum. And we've got a whole variety of things. It can be block-based coding, microbits, Python, web design, data, um, data analytics, um, you name it, we probably have it design thinking. So wow. it's a it's a huge benefit. And I know through the subject association, through the DTTA forum we announced and through some socials last year that it was coming on board. And those teachers that know about it, they're so, you know, so excited to have a quality resource that they can access for mm. for free. Um, well, I'm sure our listeners mm. will be, you know, <laughs> if they're involved in the education sphere, will be, uh, we'll be spreading the word mm. and, you know, many uh, listeners are, are parents mm. as well and will be uh, nudging their schools to take advantage. And just on that end, if, uh, you know, if there's a homeschool parent and they want to sign up and they can access that as, as well. Great. So we, we want equity for all learners. Um, and like I was, you know, alluded to before, if, if you don't have that support early on, you don't see yourself being able, well, good at it, having confidence. So a student might not see that. And a lot of times teachers who are, we call them out of field or not specialist digital technologies teachers, they're not confident. And so it it sort of lends itself to that, oh, I think this is in the too hard basket. And so we'll just try to avoid it maybe if, if we have that opportunity or not teach it with maybe confidence. And this way people can, you know, have some guidance and support and help students at a young age gain confidence. And hardworking, confident teachers actually have some resources that they can make that are pre, you know, pre-made online that they can utilize without having to reinvent the wheel all of the time. So I guess we're supporting both ends of the spectrum. That's great. And so, so for teachers that are wanting to upskill themselves, mm. you know, what, what would those resources look like that are available? So if they can, um, a teacher can do a course that's available to any of the students. But what we have when you're a verified teacher, we also have a teacher notes tab. So that goes into detail about what the concept is that's being taught, um, some maybe in different instances, unplugged or offline activities they can do in the classroom, the solutions. So a teacher can actually work through the course and they're upskilling themselves um, at the same time. We also provide um, webinars, professional learning. We go to conferences, do workshops with teachers. We're going to go to the technology education conference and do um, several workshops. So we're um, on the ground trying to support teachers as as well. And we have a dedicated support team with any 
technical questions or help onboarding teachers in, into the into the platform. That's that's brilliant. And I guess one thing that comes to mind, you know, for me is you've got you know fifty educators, which is a you know it's a really good base. But of course. Once you've you know developed a, a lot of content and so on within the platform, then the next year swings around. You've already got all that content, so you know your your fifty educators are able to go about you know both improving that content and and lifting it, but also you know producing a, a broader uh, and wider variety of content. I presume. So um, I imagine that as as time goes on, you get a you know a better and better. Uh, capability there and we we do and we like we have this we call it our fun programming challenge the NCSS um, coding challenge it's over five weeks it starts in a couple of weeks and students are introduced to new problem solving concepts every week and um, they're guided through you know try uh, with live tutors available if they need it trying to solve problems so right now for example one of our things we're refreshing that all to make sure that the problem content is improved and and slightly different from last year but also what we're trying to do like work with providing professional learning supporting teachers and looking at ways through um, through our engineering team in the background how can we make the content better how can we make use of new technologies such as AI so we're able to you know, we're, we're working on what we call next gen grok into uh, improving uh, the current offering it's really good right now but we have a team to keep supporting that. You know. And and how broad is the is the content, mm. you know, today? Uh, so I don't know. I'm thinking of let's let's say the the homeschool sort of example mm. that you know you you mentioned someone that's homeschooling. Um, if there's a particular area where you know maybe a child needed to learn, it's maybe outside of digital technology. Um, do you go to sort of broader broader areas um, with the content? We don't at the moment. Our main focus is digital technologies, mm. although we have some we have resources for primary, for lower primary, some unplugged activities, some logical, you know, thinking, computational thinking activities. Um, and then we go into like I said, block based coding using microbit simulators, so seeing how robotics works all the way through Neat. you know, cloud computing and yeah. Looking how to analyze data and what that what that means. So there's a whole range um, of resources available. Um, but what we are looking at is then in the future expanding our using our platform, our current platform. How can we support other areas of the curriculum? But right now, the main focus is in digital mm -hmm. technologies mm -hmm. and digital literacy. Yeah, I think that there's going to be um, yeah some interesting times ahead in mm. terms of as we as we broaden out, mm. you know, what becomes available online to educators. And you know, I mentioned the correspondence school before um, Tikura. You can imagine you you could end up with resources available from a range of of sources that the effort that goes into produce it can you know can really be heavily uh, leveraged and and bring about. You know, either better outcomes in different environments, or just access to a broader range of of capabilities to fill in some some gaps, and to you know maybe help with that personalization uh, side more, and and you know helping individuals who maybe they learn better with digital content too. 
And one of the things that we're also um, looking at developing more of, we have some resources, but looking at more where we are doing that, the CS plus X, so maybe using computer science or programming in a biology context or in maths context or in a musical context. So we have some of those things, and we're looking at developing more content around that so that teachers and students can see how it is cross-curricular. Mm, um, mm. So that's another area that we're expanding in. Yeah, and there, there's so many of those opportunities. I mm. mean, I look back many decades to, I think it was probably my first first year in high school at, at Burnside High in Christchurch, and there was a music class, and we, I don't know, had to make an instrument or something. So, of course, I went home and programmed something up to, you know, make an electronic mm. keyboard on, you know, on my computer. Mm. So there's always those opportunities for crossover, which now more and more are probably, you know, relevant to people. So, yeah. Oh, there's so many more things we can uh, we could delve into. Is there there anything else as we sort of wrap up, Julie, that you'd like to mention that you think might be interesting to our audience, whether that's for teachers and those within the education sector, uh, parents or students that are listening, or or anyone else more broadly that you think, oh, there's a there's an important area we haven't touched on. I don't know that there's anything additional um, to what we've we've talked about quite a wide range of things, but I guess reiterating the point that. It's, it's an important foundational skill, and I think if we're not offering it to students, we're, they're, we're closing pathways and you know for, for them in the future. And to reach out to you know Grok Academy, if now that you've heard of it, how can we support get that into your school or you know homeschool uh, in order to support learners? Because um, and maybe you know it's a it's a really good opportunity for a parent might be listening or somebody who's on a a school board and think, are we actually doing enough in our school? And I think those conversations need to be had within at at that level. How are we supporting this in the school? Um, Schools tend to have a lot of silos (laughs) and focus on, um, you know, it's a crowded curriculum. There's a lot going on, but you can bring in digital technologies into schools when you, you know, with, with support. So I think it's important to have those conversations. And how hard is it for a school to, you know, at least on board in a small context, some use of Grok Academy? Because I can imagine there will be there'll be people listening in or having conversations around Grok Academy. And, you know, the conversation will go, look, we're way too busy to look at that this year, maybe next year or the year after that we'll look at it. And there'll be others that will be jumping in, you know, boots and all um, very, very quickly. How easy is it to get started? It's very easy to get started. Um, We've got all the schools on a school list. You can go into, if you go to grokacademy.org, it'll come up, start for free. Um, you can use your Google or your Microsoft single sign-on just to sign in as a teacher. We do verify every teacher. So uh, as long as you're a verified teacher, that's because some cheeky students were (laughs) registering themselves as teachers so they could get all the answers. So we do actually personally verify that um, teachers are teachers. You can actually, a principal or somebody can bulk upload the teachers in their school. Mm, And then mm. from there, we have a simple import of your classes into um, either from a spreadsheet or from Google Classroom to upload the students. And and then we've got a teacher dashboard where they can assign 
the student the courses that they want. So to dip the toe into, you know, we've got a, a range of courses. So maybe dipping a toe in, contacting our support desk, and we will be running some onboarding webinars, which I'll post after this onto the socials when they come up to help teachers um, and schools and quota get started okay. with it. So it's fairly simple. Great. Oh, well, thank you, Julie. Uh, it's been fascinating. Now, there are some probably related episodes that, that some uh, listeners may be interested in. One question we posed on episode 560 was, will streamer or YouTuber be a future <laughs> uh, job title for your child? But yeah, the range of uh, content there that may be, uh, may be of interest, more recently looking at AI and education and gaming, episode 661, uh, so a more recent one. So lots there to help out, but it's been a great uh, conversation. So thank you for all your insights from, uh, from the digital technology and education uh, world, Julie. Thank you. Uh, and of course, a big thank you to our show partners, to Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees and One NZ. Uh, we really appreciate uh, their support. And look, if you if you did find this uh, something that might be uh, relevant, maybe for for your school or f- uh, for others, then certainly feel free to uh, to share uh, this episode uh, with those that are relevant. And we'll look forward to catching everybody on the next episode. If you've been watching our uh, video stream, then worth mentioning that you can also find us uh, through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatever your favorite podcast app is. If you've been listening to the audio and you want to see us, uh, then we do live stream most Tuesday uh, afternoons. And you can find that by following myself, Paul Spain, on LinkedIn, or by tracking down NZ Tech Podcast on YouTube, X, or Facebook. All right, that's us. Thank you, and thanks very much, Julie. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You can tell I'm passionate about technology education. I think (laughs) you've shared that with everyone today. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.